This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Temperance Home and Bar Botanica. Temperance Home and Bar Botanica offers self-care with a little sanse in it. Melissa Suze is a sanse espiritista, offering readings, spiritual guidance, and handcrafted magical products that offer opportunities for self-care and reflection designed for your home, bath, and bar. So go ahead and check out Temperance Home and Bar on Etsy or at Temperance Home Bar on Instagram and Facebook for magical, radical self-care for your home and bar. And best of all, you can get 10% off with promo code WITCHWAVE. That's Temperance Home and Bar on Etsy and use promo code WITCHWAVE for 10% off. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by a brand new book called The Four Elements of the Wise, Working with the Magical Powers of Earth, Air, Water, Fire by Ivo Dominguez, which is out on May 31st from Wiser Books. The Four Elements of the Wise is an in-depth exploration of the elements, their lore, history, correspondences, and use in spellwork and ritual. The book examines the use of the elements in a wide range of systems and practices and offers new teachings and techniques for newcomers and longtime practitioners alike. The Four Elements of the Wise is available directly from Wiser Books or wherever books are sold. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. I have been reveling in spring magic lately, and for me at least, this season has felt extra special and extra lush. Matt and I just reached our fully vaccinated status. Hooray! And something about the combination of relief and grief and hesitation and celebration has made me feel all the more sensitive and tender-hearted. We're starting to reunite with family and friends and having a backdrop of so much beauty surrounding these moments has been such a blessing. We took my parents to see the cherry blossoms in the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and it felt like the trees and the flowers were showering us with confetti petals. It was just the sweetest party. 
and I can't get enough of all of this blooming. It makes me so giddy and so grateful. And it's helping me stay present because there's still a lot of anxiety and unknowns about what's to come as we're all emerging or choosing not to emerge depending on our circumstances. But being present and awake and surrendering to awe is a key component to staying centered, and it's a key component to witchcraft. Witches are agents of wonder. So much of our magic comes from paying attention, slowing down, opening up. It reminds me of a quote that circulates a lot by Problematic Fave, the children's book author Roald Dahl. He wrote, quote, Above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you, because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Unquote. Wonder is a practice, but it's one that I believe comes naturally to us and is our default mode as children. Collecting rocks, catching bugs, picking flowers, drawing pictures of dragons and mermaids and space explorers and ghosts occupying that space of imagination and liminality and play. This is our birthright as humans, and yet so many of us are socialized to give up these so-called games and be serious and mature. It's why for some people who end up circling back to magic after stepping away from it for a while, It sometimes feels a little embarrassing or shameful at first to admit you need this, you want this, you believe in this. But it's also why when we shed those judgments and critical voices and trivializing messages, witchcraft feels like home. Because humans have an innate longing for mystery. We crave enchantment. And by reconnecting to the magic and instinctive witchery of our youth, we can deepen our sense of wonder and allow ourselves to be fully conscious adults. Adults who have maturity and responsibility and critical thinking skills, yes, but who are also connected to the majesty of the divine. And that is why I absolutely adore the work of today's guest, Natasha Khan of Bat for Lashes. Through her music, videos, drawings, and films, she has been a visionary maker of magic and professional wondermonger for years. On this episode, we talk about how she's maintained her connection to childhood throughout her career, as well as the importance of alter egos, animals, and yes, witches, and so much more. 
But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on the witch wire. Who is it? Witches. Mary writes, Hi, Pam. First of all, thank you so much for being you and for sharing your work with the world. Spells and rituals have helped me through difficult times, and I have loved learning from you and your guests. That's so nice. Thanks, Mary. My question is, how do you dispose of an element of a spell that represented a part of the body? After a series of heartbreaking miscarriages, witchcraft helped safeguard my child into the world. I am so grateful to say that we're approaching Baby T's first birthday. I have to admit, though, that the materials I used for the spell are still tucked away. There are some objects that feel right for me to cleanse and reuse and repurpose, but I stitched a small, simple fabric bag to represent my uterus, and now I don't know what to do with it. I have read that it can be traditional to burn or bury materials used for spells. However, the symbolism of burning or burying my symbolic uterus just doesn't feel right. And since the spell was cast in great hope within a period of deep grief, I'd prefer not to turn the bag into a keepsake or have it lurking in my closet. Is there a way to reframe how I'm looking at this? I'd be incredibly grateful for your wisdom. Hi, Mary. First of all, many congratulations on becoming a mom. I am so, so overjoyed for you and thrilled to hear that spellcraft was a helpful part of your journey. Now, I'm going to answer this question the best I can with the caveat that, as you may already know, I'm not a mom myself, and I'm not planning on being one, so you may want a second opinion just in case I have some blind spots here. But here we go. Here's my best shot. I actually have two ideas for you. The first is, if you really, truly don't want to keep this uterus bag and burning it or burying it feels too destructive, why not offer it to arguably one of the ultimate mothers that we have here on Earth? The ocean. Water has so many magical associations, and a baby is nourished in fluid and essentially breathes underwater for nine or so months, give or take. So perhaps giving your symbolic womb to the great watery womb could feel like a lovely offering or a completion. And if you're not near an ocean, any body of natural water will do. However, I completely understand that this is a piece of material that brings up a lot of grief and heartbreak, but I'd also love for you to consider the notion that this bit of spellcraft might be a treasure for your child when they grow up. Personally speaking, if I found out that a spell was somehow involved in my birth and my mom gave me an artifact from that, oh my goodness, I would think it was the awesomest thing. 
Now, granted, I am a witch, so I'm very biased towards such sentiment. But it might be meaningful for you to give it to your child when they're old enough to understand its significance. And then they get to decide what they want to do with it. Either way, it's such a beautiful story, and I'm grateful to you for sharing it with us, and I'm confident that by trusting your instincts, you'll do exactly the right thing with this bewitching bag. Let me know how it goes, and happy, happy birthday, baby T! Now, on to my guest. Natasha Khan is the musical, magical genius best known as Bat for Lashes. We walked arm in arm, but I didn't feel his touch. The desire I'd first tried to hide, that tingling inside, was gone. Lauded for her songs about otherworldly love and witchy revelations, she has released five studio albums starting in 2006 with Fur and Gold, and followed by Two Sons in 2009, The Haunted Man in 2012, The Bride in 2016, and her most recent, 2019's Lost Girls, which is a concept album filled to the brim with vampires, California romance, and one mighty powerful coven. Natasha has also released another album under the moniker Sex Witch in 2015, which is a collection of reinterpreted psychedelic 1970s folk songs from around the world and is a collaboration between herself and the band Toy. She has also composed the soundtrack for the television show Requiem, and she has been nominated for the Mercury Prize three times. In addition to her mythic and supernatural symphonics, she is also a filmmaker, fashion and costume designer, and visual artist who brings her unbridled imagination to her videos and shorts, and has been brewing some feature-length projects as well. And if you're a Bat for Lashes fangirl like I am, you will be thrilled to know that Natasha just launched the Bat for Lashes Patreon, where you can get all kinds of bonus materials and magic direct from Natasha herself, so do be sure to check that out. It was such a delight to speak with her about the many sonic spells she's cast over the years. Natasha joined me from her home in L.A. via Zoom. 
Tasha Khan of Bad for Lashes. Welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you for having me. I am so overjoyed to have you. I have loved you and your music since the first album, so I am old <laughs> school, and I am just so honored to talk to you today. Thank you for being here. So, Natasha, I want to start by talking to you about the live show that I just attended a couple of days mm-hmm. ago. It was so exquisite. And I was wondering how it has felt for you to be a musician in this pandemic and doing these live shows. What does that feel like and what has your intention been with this kind of new format? It felt very nerve wracking because I, the last time I played was a year ago and I was three months pregnant with my daughter. And that one I just did in my bedroom and COVID had just happened. So it had only been a couple of months. That last show was sort of very early on and low budget and stuff. So with this one a year later, my intention was just to step it up a bit with having it filmed nicely. So it sounded really nice. And I think just, it was sort of very intimate and personal for me because so much has changed over this last year. And I have really missed interacting with fans and doing those live shows. And also, like I spoke about in the show, having a baby has kind of changed my perspective quite a lot on life and just been very transformative. So the intention of the show is to share like the new, I felt like I've been in a chrysalis for a year and like the new butterfly that is me and just to connect really. It was so gorgeous. And I went back and watched the live show that you did at the beginning of the pandemic and even hearing kind of like the recontextualization of a song like Lily's, now Mm -hmm. that you have a daughter, I found really, really moving. Have you found that some of your songs have taken on new context and new meaning post-pandemic and in this new phase of motherhood as well? Definitely. The set that I did was, I sort of described it as a set of love songs. And I realized that a lot of my songs were love songs about partners and people I'd sort of fallen in and out of love with in the past and the trials and tribulations and tragedies and drama of all of those things. But it's so interesting now having this baby and discovering this whole sort of completely unconditional side of what it means to love that when I sing a lot of these love songs it's almost an ode to that universal unspoken love that sort of goes in a much deeper or sort of different way than all the drama of those romantic love stories so it's been really interesting and very emotional as you say to kind of re-sing these songs but thinking of a baby and a child and the sort of innocence of that rather than sometimes the sort of <laughs> madness of And the addiction of like love itself, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of children, I can't help but recall learning about you that you taught nursery school for a few years Mm -hmm. before you became Bat for Lashes or perhaps during the beginning of Bat for Lashes. And I wondered what your connection to the magic of childhood has meant to you It seems to me that it's a connection that has remained really strong throughout your life. And now having your own child, I wonder if that's metamorphosized a bit as well, too. I could talk about this for hours, but when I was (laughs) at university, my um, thesis was on the artist's preoccupation with childhood and sort of falling into that being a nursery school teacher and then taking that, especially into the first album, Fur and Gold, was extremely 
fairy tale like and there's a lot of mythology that I created in my own universe and my own little archetypal characters and visuals and I think just as a child I was obsessed with reading I was obsessed with potions and making little bottles with tiny miniature things I was obsessed with miniature I think my first sexual fantasy was like I miniaturized my history teacher and my English teacher and like made them make love in a fish tank or something and I was like maybe I have a god <laughs> complex so you're still big in this fantasy yeah I was like they were in my room and I was just watching these tiny people and love it I also used to write very very small letters with tiny pencils and put them in the tubes of flowers like roll them up and put them in flowers because I thought that fairies could read them Mm. yeah it was just a very sort of a lot of hours spent whiling away in the garden and in my room as a child just really delving into the power of the imagination and these narratives and stories. And I think for me, that's the place I still go to, to develop concepts and ideas for my work. And I'm so pleased that I had that time as a child to be bored and I didn't have an iPhone or, you know, because I really sort of fertilize the ground of my imagination through boredom. Yes, yes. And has having your daughter kind of reinvigorated that or is it just that you've never lost that connection to childhood has it changed at all I think it's changing she's eight months old so she's been in that very early phase but as she sort of starts developing her speech and the way she can hold things and the things she looks at she loves looking at trees and clouds so she's always looking up and kind of in wonder at these things and I don't think I luckily have lost that I think I've always been someone who like stops to smell flowers or will drink in like a sunset or you know I find nature and those things very nourishing and the childlike sense of wonder I think is something luckily that I've sort of protected over the years. Yeah one of the things that I love so much about your music and your videos everything really is I think it feels very much like home to me. I think you and I are roughly around the same age. I was born in 81. I think our generation Mm -hmm. is called Xennials. We're not quite Generation X, not quite Millennials. And I feel so fortunate to have been born kind of like the internet was bubbling up, but we still grew up able to use our imaginations. We grew up with these incredible movies like E.T. and Neverending Story and Labyrinth and all of that. Mm. And so... When I first was attracted to your music and all of the incredible art you put out, it really felt like, ah, like I was coming home and falling in love again with a lot of the things that I loved as a child and a teenager too. But of course, you do it through this very refined, sophisticated lens. And so I was curious, do you still sometimes go back and watch some of the films of your childhood or read the books of your childhood? Or are they just kind of embedded in your bloodstream? I feel like it's funny you're saying like the E.T. and the Goonies and Karate Kid and Never Ending Story and The Wizard of Oz, all of those films. I probably watched, you know, The Wizard of Oz like 800 times over and over again and I think like you say it does get embedded in your sort of DNA and therefore the lens through which you make creative work is colored with these themes and visuals and feelings and soundtracks and I have gone back and revisited books like The Witches I reread recently by Roald Dahl and occasionally I'll re-watch something magical and see it again through 
an adult lens or through now I have a baby, like what's she going to think of that? But I held on to all those things. They were so precious to me as a child that when I did come to make that first record, I remember thinking like, oh, I, I want the sound of thunderstorms in this song. And I want this like strange vibraphone with a tremolo on it because it reminded me of the soundtracks of those films or a strange synth that's like an ET sound. And every sound I chose was very much through sort of referencing soundtracks and feelings I'd had. So if a sound felt like something I'd got goosebumps as a kid from, then I wanted to use that. That was my palette, really. I love it. I love it so much. So were you raised with any sort of mystical or spiritual or religious kind of framework at all? My dad was very religious. So my dad's from Pakistan and my mum's English and I was born in England. So I had a really interesting combination of influences as a kid because my dad wanted us to pray five times a day Mm -hmm. and then I'd go to a Christian school where we had chapel on a Friday and like very religious stories about Jesus and I think what ended up happening was that I didn't want to sort of practice a traditional religion in any way but I learned from the idea of storytelling and how powerful that can be and how metaphors and stories kind of embed into your consciousness and you can sort of explain the mysteries of life through character and narrative. So religion for me was like this beautiful foray into storytelling rather than something that felt too inhibitive or like restrictive or or anything like that. Sure. And did you go through any phases of like dabbling in witchcraft or did you not quite have to go through that because you were kind of exploring this through the channels of creativity and art and and music and so on? I definitely dabbled as a teenage girl because I, you know, I was obsessed with Kate Bush and Björk and Tori Amos and the Cocteau Twins. And so PJ Harvey too, Is This Desire, that album like really hit me hard. Perfection. So good. And I think at the time, sort of in that teenage time, a little bit later as well, there were TV shows like Twin Peaks on TV. And I kind of started to explore my darker, but more like psychic tendencies. So I'd lie out, for example, on my patio as a child and like try and communicate with the stars or with aliens. And then when I was older, I thought I could communicate with Kurt Cobain because, you know, I had this like such a connection to him and I felt so emotional and like obsessed and like empowered by the music. And I do remember reading books about herbalism and I really liked essential oils and I really liked plants and I liked animals and animal archetypes. You know, like in Labyrinth, there's that big white barn owl. And what did that mean that bats were like linked with vampires? And why did black cats always appear in my witch books? And Mm -hmm. there was a very sort of strong link between animals and humans and familiars. And again, that's something on the first album and throughout that I've really enjoyed. So I don't know if it was consciously practicing anything witchcrafty, but like you say, it's all kind of interwoven in this sort of landscape that I was interested in as a child and a teenager. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
2,000 years ago in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras candles, my favorite. Handmade from the purest East Coast golden cappings beeswax with that natural, subtle, honey and floral scent, Mithras candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries of your life. Mithras candles come in natural gold and rich black varieties. You can also get them in their signature, stunning, hand-dripped style, or you can choose their smooth and rustic version. They also have wide pillars for sale if you're feeling extra expansive with your magic. And, very exciting, they now have new long-sleeve black t-shirts for sale, and I am so excited to get mine because I love a long-sleeve shirt, and this one is gorgeous. So go on ahead to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 13% off your first order. That's MithrasCandle.com, and offer code WITCH gets you 13% off your first order. Thank you, Mithras. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Rewilding the Tarot, created by intuitive tarot teacher and prior Witch Wave guest, Lindsay Mack. Learn the fundamentals of soul tarot in this self-guided foundational theory course and create your own connection to your deck. Through a weaving of immersive video and audio lessons, stunning workbooks, and special access to the Wild Soul Q&A database, participants will be guided on a transformative journey of discovery and reclamation with their tarot practice, exploring all 78 cards in the deck and so much more. Undo and rewild your tarot practice. Come home to your own meanings of these sacred archetypes, build relationships with the cards, and read with confidence. I adore Lindsay's work and have taken tarot courses from her myself, and I recommend her so, so highly. Enrollment is open now and material is live, so go ahead and sign up or learn more by visiting tarotforthewildsoul.com. That's tarotforthewildsoul.com, and be sure to use code WITCH for 10% off your tuition. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp. 
an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days. I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, plus they offer financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, which wave listeners, that's you, get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better h e l p dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Natasha Khan of That for Lashes. So Natasha, we were talking a little bit about your relationship to magic. And I was thinking about how in a lot of your albums, you take on these alter egos, these other characters. And I wondered how that has developed for you and what it might have unlocked for you at various points in your life. I guess like as a an art student, I discovered artists like Cindy Sherman and documentaries like Paris is Burning. And, you know, there was a lot of connection I felt in resonance with fabulous sort of downtrodden characters or people that were in sort of difficult situations, but rose above them through changing their identity or dressing up or like lifting their everyday experience into something heightened by the medium of theater or drama or like the beauty of change. And I guess I'm a typical Scorpio in that way that I love to transform and <laughs> metamorphosize. And so I was sort of practicing those ideas pretty early on where I would at art school, I'd dress up in this sort of really bizarre veiled widow costume and stand in a spotlight and sing something with a really weird synth arpeggio <laughs> like yeah I just wanted to like explore <laughs> different parts of my personality and then 
it kind of really hit in terms of the music when I dressed up as Pearl on the Two Sons record. I was in New York and feeling very sort of homesick and dark and lost. And I remember just going and buying this powder blonde wig and putting tons of eyeshadow and fake eyelashes and red lipstick on. And I had a silk shirt and a skirt and I just took myself to a bar and got really drunk on whiskeys on my own in this bar. And I was just kind of trawling the streets. I guess it was probably not very safe, but I felt invincible in a way because I had this costume, this character that I could delve into. And it was sort of accessing sub-personalities and parts of myself that perhaps I found difficult or painful. And it was very cathartic for me. Yeah. Does it feel magical at all? Because I think of these long traditions of people who go through ceremonies where they're wearing masks or putting on some costume of an animal, let's say, and they feel like they're tapping into this other current or this other side. Does it feel like something's happening for you on a spiritual or or magical level when you're taking on these characters? Yes. And I think it's so interwoven for me. So dressing up, but also doing tarot, like taking night walks, In terms of rituals, like I do a lot with trees, I will write notes and put them inside the crevices of trees still, you know, like sort of manifesting and visualizing things I want to bring into physical form. And then sort of also the preoccupation with alien life or just like entities and places in space that connect with us through dreams, through meditations, It's kind of like that sort of seance space I go into when I write music. I sort of feel like I drop my human body and then the cerebral or like spiritual connection starts to fire up, which is connecting to something beyond that I can't give a name or a form to, but it's full of like the richness of creativity. And it's, I guess, that universal consciousness feeling. And so to me, magic is very much bound up in the painters I like, sacred geometry painters and to Hugo's books about, you know, having seances and talking to the ocean or talking to rocks and talking to Jesus and Napoleon, like all these crazy (laughs) sort of people that sound crazy, but I get it. Like if you think about it in terms of the quantum field and everything is hologramic and everything is alive at the same time, like time doesn't really exist in a linear form. Then to me, when I access this place, it's shape-shifting and it's this sort of vibrational creative space that I go into that I've developed a very strong relationship with. Yeah. Do you have rituals that you use to get you into that space or is it just when you're sitting down at your notebook or your your piano it just kind of turns on for you? It can come in all sorts of ways and I think that's what's been nice is like I don't feel like I rely on any one particular way of accessing that. Sometimes I have a very vivid dream and I'll wake up and write that dream down like it's sort of a message. Other times I've been with like, there's this guy in England that's a good friend who's a doctor of mythology and he's kind of a witch in himself. And he's taken me to like the misty moors of Dartmoor and we've thrown a penny at a rowan tree as we kind of walk into the moors and then he says we're in like a different dimension you know and we've walked through strange landscapes and sort of summoned ideas and he's done tarot for me so that's a very sort of mystical way then other times with like the bride album I've driven up into the hills of Woodstock or around here like Angelus Crest like Mm. mountains around here which are very Lynchian and Mulholland Drive all these sort of places so 
a lot of the times driving for me takes me to those places. And as I'm driving, I kind of feel like I'm in a film or another universe and ideas will come. There's a lot of different methods I've used over the years. Yeah. I'm so interested to hear more about how land has influenced the different energies of your albums or the different currents that you're plugging into. You know, this newest album, Lost Girls, which is so brilliant, feels very L.A. to me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas some of your other albums, I get more of a sense of like an English landscape or, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe Woodstock. Is that something that you're doing consciously? Are you going to these places specifically for that energy to help you generate music? Or is it just kind of happenstance that you find yourself in these places and then the music comes? I think I purposefully sort of create these situations where I can travel and go to places I haven't been or places that are resonating with me or that I've seen in cinema. And I think that landscape has been extremely important in terms of it's sort of almost a creature in itself, the landscape to me. It's a metaphor for emotion. You know, like if I, on this album, I went to Death Valley and the song Desert Man, you know, it's all about sort of how the arid, cold, dry, or even hot, dry landscape is almost a metaphor for this man that I'm with and how impenetrable and sort of desolate that love affair felt. And then other times, yeah, driving around upstate New York and sort of going through these creepy woodlands and trees or snowy England where it's very sort of magical and old myths and fairy tales of England. So I've definitely used landscape as a muse. And I also feel, especially in England, there's a lot of spirits and sort of ancient stories that are embedded in the land I did have a really mystical, strange meeting with this woman once who she was sort of giving me a healing and she said that she could see this metal structure that had pipes where the wind was going through these pipes and making this sort of almost choral sound. And a few years later, I was researching something and I came across what exactly the thing she described. And it was a monument on the site of the Pendle Witch burial grounds in Lancashire in England. And she was saying to me, this is very connected to your ancestry this is like a very important site for you I don't know where it is in the world but she described it so things goosebumpy things like that have happened where I definitely feel a connection especially to England and those sort of old sites and places how gorgeous on that note we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back looking to add some magic to your self-care Luna Lux Botanicals offers all-natural bath and body products designed to turn your self-care into a ritual. Deepen your connection with the moon with their Moon Ritual Bath Soaks, which I adore, by the way, or amplify your magical intentions with their Crystal Body Scrub Collection. And yes, they do contain real crystals. Their Moon Ritual Collection now includes organic sugar body scrubs made with cold-pressed herbal-infused oils and botanical face mask blends designed with the moon in mind. All of Luna Lux Botanicals offerings are vegan, cruelty-free, and made using only pure and ethically sourced ingredients. 
Each small batch is handcrafted with care and intention by its creator, Cass Hayes, from her home in Denver, Colorado. And Cass was generous enough to send me some of her products, and they are so divine in all senses of the word. So if you're ready to turn your self-care into a ritual, visit lunaluxbotanicals.com. That's lunaluxbotanicals.com. And use code WHICHWAVE at checkout for 15% off your first order. That's lunaluxbotanicals.com. And code WHICHWAVE gets you 15% off your first order. I love Luna Lux. Calling all plant witches and those who feel called to the plant path. Registration is open for just a few more days for the Alchemy of Herbal Medicine Apprenticeship. This is a content-rich online herbal program taught by third-generation herbalist and priestess Serafina Capranos. Serafina has been teaching herbal medicine for well over a decade in her garden on a small island in western Canada. She also teaches for Pacific Rim College, which is one of the foremost colleges in phytotherapy, which is the use of plant extracts as medicine. The Alchemy of Herbal Medicine Apprenticeship is a unique herbal program that focuses on learning herbs through a process called plant communication, taught in live Zoom sessions. This is a body-centered practice that includes tasting the plants and resetting our nervous systems to open to the plant world. In addition to focused, in-depth live sessions, all students also receive the content-rich Pacific Rim College online herbal course that includes 46 hours of instruction on medicine-making, therapeutics, plant identification, herbal cookery, and materia medica. Students also receive a 500-page guidebook and a private Facebook group to keep the cauldron brewing. If you want the ideal fusion of practical and magical herbal education, this is the program for you. You can learn more and register at Serafina's website, which is serafinacapranos.com. That's spelled S as in sorceress, E-R-A-P-H-I-N-A-C-A-P-R-A-N-O-S dot com. And just click on classes and you'll find the Alchemy of Herbal Medicine Apprenticeship listed there. Or you can check out Serafina's Instagram at serafina.capranos. Would you like even more Witch Wave? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and 
to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Natasha Khan, a.k.a. Vet for Lashes. So, Natasha, I want to talk to you specifically about witches. It's been pretty clear to me that if you don't identify as a witch, you at least feel a kinship with witches or the archetype mm-hmm. of the witch. And you had this incredible project, I suppose you could call it a side project, called mm-hmm. Sex Witch, which is one of my favorite albums of yours. So by way of introduction to that project, can you just share a little bit about your relationship to the word witch? Is that a word that you feel comfortable donning for yourself? Or is it just kind of an energy that you flirt with now and again? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that word. I love the word witch and, you know, hence the sex witch title of the album that I came up with. But I definitely identify as what people would call a witch, which to me is just a woman who's extremely connected to the mystical cycles of life and her body, her imagination, her sexuality, her power or his. And to me, I love the connotations of what it means to be a witch. And as a child, I thought it was the most magical, fantastic thing a girl could be. And as I've grown older, I've, I kind of understand it more as like a repression of the matriarchal lineage, you know, like the matriarchal power that over the years has been sort of squashed and pushed down. And that's where I think the idea of witches came from was just powerful women. And so as a powerful woman, I would definitely resonate with being a witch but it's just all the things that we all women or witches are but they just have been kind of pushed into this like side space which I don't think I think it's just normal to be a witch you know everyone has that power and everyone probably was so yeah sex witch to me was sort of a very liberating and powerful feminine record. And that's why I gave it that name, Sex Witch. It's such a powerful record. It's one of your albums that I play, I mean, all the time. And the song, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, Helelos, Helelos? Helelos, yes. Is on like almost every witchy mix. I mean, I guess we don't make mixes anymore. Playlists that I ever make. It is, it just really, I mean, it it really taps into something potent and and mm-hmm. powerful for me. It is such a gorgeous song. Can you share a little bit about how you curated that album in terms of the songs that you selected? Mm-hmm. So me and my, one of the producers I've worked closely with, Dan Carey, we loved working together and and I'd heard some of these sort of old Iranian 
repressings on vinyl of like folk songs that these beautiful women, troubadour, vagabond, witchy women that were very much chastised and kind of marginalised in their mountain towns sort of released these secret, brilliant songs that they'd written about you know, women of the night and being nomadic and traveling the desert and all, just, it was so evocative. So Dan and I spoke about reinterpreting those songs, but using like the band Toy to play this really psychedelic music. And we really took the songs and sort of left them in their entirety in this beautiful kind of folk sound. And then I just wanted to completely reinterpret with this really sexual charged kind of rhythmic mantra-ish rock music I suppose psychedelic music so I printed out all the lyrics and we got them translated they were ones from Africa Pakistan Iran I think and I kind of reworked I took out the lyrics and mantras and words that really resonated with me and then performed them in a completely improvised way but I definitely went into a trance when I was doing that in the studio so Dan set up like a fog machine and I think I just took my shoes off I just got my headphones on and I just completely lost myself in this expression of sort of almost channeling the spirits of these women and remembering a lot of my summers in Pakistan as a child you know out in the dusty desert with rabid dogs and you know, words of genies and magic and, you know, they all believe in magic and spirits there. So it it felt like I was going back to my very ancient heritage of the women for me in my life, but also celebrating these women that had been different for their time and that were sort of outlaws of their own culture. Gorgeous. And that seems to be a real theme for you, this idea of the outlaw, dark feminine certainly on this latest album, Lost Girls. And I understand this is a conceptual album that started as a film script. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I'd moved to LA and I, exactly as we spoke about earlier, I was getting so many flashbacks and nostalgic feelings about just the way everything looks like you're in a Steven Spielberg film (laughs) or a David Lynch film. And I was like, wow, living here is it was very evocative just doing these night drives, um, seeing the mountains. And I don't know, I was like, this is really bringing up a lot of ideas for me. And so I sort of developed the Lost Girls, which is this gang of vampire girls that have these mystical powers that come from the desert. You know, they're sort of outlaws and they, they move to LA and start to penetrate like the everyday people that live here and sort of transform and change them. And so I was also sort of falling in love at the time and took on this very romantic vampire movie script, which I actually went to UCLA and developed like the first act and I have been writing that. So yeah, I really hope to direct a film pretty soon. Like that's something I'm in development with that takes a lot of the themes of sort of all of the albums really when I think about the universe that that the film inhabits it sort of calls on all these threads but with every album I've had a film that I'm almost making a soundtrack for that that's kind of the way I tend to work absolutely I mean there is such a sense of cinema and drama in all of your music and certainly your videos are really exquisite and have that romance and otherworldliness and I understand you've directed quite a few of them yeah 
when I was at university, I studied music with visual arts. I did shadow puppet shows and directed animations and made short films and made all the music to go with them. So I feel very sort of comfortable and confident with visuals. I actually, as a kid, I thought I was going to be a painter or a photographer before I ever did music. So to me, they very much go hand in hand. And I've directed a short film that was debuted at Tribeca and I made a little film called Light Beings when I got to LA, which is sort of this alien man that comes down. Margaret Qualley's in it. Oh, I love her. How fabulous. So, and I did the music for that. So that was really fun. So I've been dipping my toe in for years and directing music videos, having had a very strong vision for the songs visually. So I've been very lucky to put my stamp on those visually as well as musically. I really admire the ways in which you're kind of using all the tools in your toolkit. You have a lot of dance that you do in some of your videos. Obviously, you have an incredible eye for costume and that theatricality as well. And I was reading about a piece of advice that you got from Tom York when you had some creative block. And I wondered if you could share that with us in more depth. Yeah, so we supported Radiohead on the In Rainbows tour in Europe, which was one of the best memories of my career. And I remember asking him about feeling blocked and he said that he draws, you know, like he'll go and draw something if he can't do music or there'll be some other way of being creative that you can kind of tap into that sort of almost unblocks the other parts of your creativity. So for me, that could be cooking or like planting my garden or making a dress or taking photographs. And But drawing is definitely one of the biggest ones for me, drawing and painting. Like this year when I was pregnant with my baby, I wasn't writing music so much, but I've been developing this tarot stroke oracle deck. I got to see a little sneak peek of it and it's so beautiful, (laughs) Natasha. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm so enjoying that process. It's very intuitive. I just sit down. I don't know what's going to come. But by the end, like in two or three hours, I have another card, you know, and then it's down to me to decipher what the symbolism means and what the story of it is and the healing aspect of that card. Mm. And I found that it's very much about contacting the muse and all the methods and ways I use to make work and to get unblocked around things. Yeah. I was surprised to read that there was a period of time when you thought you maybe weren't going to do music anymore. Is that true? Did you really think maybe that it was, it was just done all dried up for you? Cause I can't <laughs> imagine that. Well, I can't imagine that now because yeah. I realize I'm 41 now. I realize that I, I'm never going to escape. It. I'm just a creative person and that's just who I am. I think sadly at the time I couldn't really explain why I felt like that, but it was sort of mainly down to being on a major record label for 10 years and around the haunted man time there were some A&R people there that were telling me that it was a really bad album and that I didn't have any singles on there. And they were trying to get me to work with songwriters, you know, pop songwriters and to change the structure of my songs. And I got confused. I thought that it meant I didn't want to do music anymore, but really what it was to me was my inner child, which I think a lot of creativity comes from, you know, with children, if you berate them and tell them that they're doing it wrong and they can't go there and you mustn't touch this, they become very withdrawn and sad and quiet, you know, and you sort of kill off their creative spirit. And I strongly believe that's 
what you can do with your own creative spirit if you sort of let it be criticized and abused by other people so yeah I was just felt very shut down and I just thought I don't want to do this anymore but as soon as I came off of that contract Lost Girls came and like a whole bunch of stuff and Sex Witch came you know that wasn't released with my major label so Sex Witch was the first thing I released not on them which actually is like a great statement of freedom for me so it just goes to show you know you just need to protect your inner child and make sure you you have the right team. Absolutely. How fantastic. In our last few moments together, you know, you brought up being 41. I just turned 40 myself. Yay! And yay! <laughs> Walking through that portal. But I really appreciate some things that you said in an interview recently around aging, especially aging as a creative woman and in the public eye. I admire, I assume a lot of the same people you do, Patti Smith and Tilda mm-hmm. Swinton and all yeah. these amazing people that as they've aged, they've gotten more beautiful and more powerful and more complex. But, you know, how has being in your 40s felt now that you're a year ahead of me? <laughs> if you have yes. had any <laughs> insights that you care to share, I'd love to hear them. Well, I'll just give you a quick story. This is my way of explaining is I read recently about orcas, you know, killer whales, that there are sort of females that are in the pod and they reproduce with the males and they're sort of located in the middle to the back of the pod and they have little babies and that's all, you know, until they're 40-ish when they go through the menopause and then they get put up to the front of the pod. They lead the pod. So orcas are matriarchal creatures And when they, I think similarly with elephants, like when you reach a certain age, you're like put up to star status because you have experience, you can lead, you're wise, you're loving, you know, you understand like much more than you did before. And that's basically how I feel is 40s are just to have been awesome so far because I feel strong and I feel confident. I know who I am. There's sort of this bittersweet feeling of my youth has gone in some ways, but it sort of makes me appreciate life that much more that I'm sort of living much more for now because you've only got now. And I just think women get better and better if you just really embrace the beauty that comes with wisdom and age. And I think it can be very sexy if you're confident and you really live it. Absolutely. And I think it's another reason why witches, it's it's such a fantastic archetype because they just yeah. get more awesome with age too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sassy. Exactly. Those salty, sassy witches. Well, Natasha, I wish you and I wit you all the saltiness and sassiness and just so much more generative energy because literally I cannot think of something that you've made that I haven't absolutely adored and been enchanted by. So truly, truly, thank you so much. Thank you for your music. And thank you so much for being here. It's been such a great honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely talking to you. Like-minded soul. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Natasha Khan for sharing her wonder and witchy wisdom with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and you just might make it on the Witchwire. 
The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs, thank you Rachel, and myself. Our sound engineer was Josh Wilcox. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Amtal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other places and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do subscribe to us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs>